appreciate very much the message this morning. Uh, I thought the, the conclusion of Brother Tim's message that Hebrew children captured uh, his entire message, but it also captured our thoughts for our prayer verse today, uh, confessing Christ before men. Uh, you may get persecuted for that, but those Hebrew children were walking in that furnace with the Lord Jesus Christ. The heat had not been turned down. It was just as hot at that time as it was when they were cast in there. But Christ was their shield. And they just weren't sitting down. They were walking with each other, which is a picture of fellowship. Jesus said in John 8 and 12, I'm the light of the world. He that walketh after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If we're going to fellowship with each other, we must walk in the light. If we're going to fellowship with Christ, we must do likewise. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, this morning I want to take your minds to the book Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14. Ecclesiastes 3 and 14. Uh, the wise man Solomon writes here, of course by divine inspiration of God, and he says, I know whatsoever things God doeth, it shall stand forever. Nothing can be taken from it, and nothing can be added to it. Now, when God inspired men to write the Bible, he oftentimes allowed them to keep their personalities in their writings. He also allowed them to write their experiences. When I first began preaching, I preached on a lot of things I had no experience in. I preached it strictly from the letter of the word. I knew what it taught. That's what I preached. I preached uh, things, you know, that I had not experienced in my life. But as time has gone on, now I've experienced many of those things, and the things I preach now, I preach not only based upon the letter of the word, but I preach also from my experience. And that will be the same way with you in reading and studying the scriptures. You may read and study a scripture now you've had no experience with, but you can understand it here. But later on in life, when you have the experience of it, it'll mean more to you. Now here, Solomon says, I know whatsoever things God doeth shall stand forever. Now that's one of those truths in the Bible that you need to memorize. That's one of those truths in the Bible that you need to understand. This is not up for debate. This is not, you know, with controversy. This is a biblical fact that whatsoever God doeth shall stand forever. I've done a lot of things that, and they just haven't stood. I'm sure you have too. But whatsoever God doeth, it shall stand forever. And nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. Now we know that man has added things and taken things away from the things of God, the word of God, and have suffered greatly for it. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 2, where Moses instructs Israel that they are to walk according to God's statue and commandments. They're not to add to it nor diminish from it. We read in Revelation, chapter 22, some of the last words of the Bible, where the apostle John warns those who are reading this book not to add anything to the book, because if they do, then the plagues of this book will be added unto them. If any man take away the things written in this book, his part be taken out of the tree of life, out of the city of Jerusalem, and from the things written in the book. Now we know that God's people have eternal security in the blood of Christ. and can never be lost or taken out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to fellowshipping with the Lord, indeed the Lord can remove us from that. And that's what John is talking about there as he concludes Revelation and the Bible. But here Solomon says, And I know, or we know, that whatsoever God doeth, it shall stand forever. Now this word forever is an interesting word. It has various meanings to it. 
The word can mean eternal, it can mean everlasting, it can mean perpetuity, perpetual, it can mean infinity, uh, but it has under consideration a period of time. For example, the Israelites, when they came across the Red Sea, they were followed by the Egyptian army of the horses and chariots. And God told Moses, you know, to start with, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And they did, and God parted the Red Sea, and they crossed to the other side, dry shod, the entire nation of Israel. Not one was left behind. And then the Bible tells us, when the Egyptian army tried to follow suit, they were all drowned in the Red Sea. And the Lord told them, he says, ye shall see your enemies never again forever. Those enemies died. They were drowned. They perished. And those Israelites would never see them forever. They would never see them ever again. Now, God gave Israel many instructions when they came across the Red Sea on Mount Sinai. He gave them the moral law. He gave them the ceremonial law. gave them the civil law. And they were to last for a certain period of time. Now, the moral law is still in effect. But the ceremonial law and the civil law was last from the time he gave it to them on Mount Sinai until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. That time period represented the word forever. The Lord gave them statutes and commandments, said you shall keep forever. He gave them the Sabbath day, which he says you shall keep forever. That meant from that time until the time of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was crucified. You come over to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 24, and you'll find where the apostle writes here and says, for since the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ should suffer often. He said if, if he were like the priest of the Old Testament where he made offering sacrifices on a yearly basis. Well, that's what they did. Every year they brought an offering sacrifice uh, into the tabernacle or the temple. And uh, that had to be done year after year after year. But he has told us in an earlier verse that Christ is now in heaven to appear in the presence of God for us right now. At this moment, there's a man in heaven called Jesus, and he's on the right hand of God, and he appears there to make intercession on behalf of the Lord's children. He says, Now, once in the end of the world hath Christ appeared to put away sin and the sacrifice of himself. He is a world that is fulfilling, or a world that's experiencing an end. Obviously, he wasn't talking about this world here. We're 2,000 years down the road. But he was talking about an age of time. It's what the word world means there. It means an age of time. We find where the Lord came in the end of that dispensation. I believe the Bible teaches three basic dispensations of time. The time from Adam to Moses, time from Moses to the first coming of Christ, and the time from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. He says, for Christ has once suffered and has made an offering for the sins of his people. And he did that when he appeared at the end of the world. That's the end of the Mosaic economy, we might say, or Moses' law. So here's a period of time under consideration where God used the word forever, but forever didn't mean, you know, uh, beyond the period of time I'm talking to you about. It meant that period of time, the time that he gave it, to the time of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the law would be satisfied to a jot and to a tittle. Now here Solomon says, I know that whatsoever God doeth shall stand forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken away from it. Now, let's look at a few of those things this morning, Lord willing. The Bible starts off 
Genesis 1-1, tell us something God did. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, is that going to stand forever? It's going to stand until the end of time, which is a time period that's under consideration. I read over here in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3 and verse 10, where the apostle Peter said, The day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. And it says, And then the heaven shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works therein shall be burned up. He's telling me there's a time when the Lord comes again that his creation will no longer be useful. It will no longer be useful and no longer be uh, for what he gave it for in the very beginning. When God created the heaven and the earth, he created man to occupy this earth, and he blessed man with his works of creation to take care of us until the end of time. And that's exactly what's going what's to take place. That's something the Lord did, and it's going to last forever. That is, forever concerning the duration of time that's under consideration. In Genesis 8.22, after the flood, we find where the Lord said, As long as the earth remaineth, or while the earth remaineth. Now, pause there. What does that mean? What's the word remaineth mean to you? It, it means there's coming a time when it will not remain. As the earth remaineth, there shall be seed time and harvest, there shall be cold and heat, there shall be summer and winter, there shall be night and day. And he says, you're going to have that as long as the earth remaineth. As long as this earth is still here, before it is burned up and all the works therein, you're going to have it. You don't have to be frightened, you know, uh, by all the words that come from the lips of politicians. You don't have to be frightened of that. Take the word of God. The word of God will deliver you from some of those things. When it comes to, to climate warming or whatever, you know, global warming, I don't have any doubt there might be some speck of truth to that, but that doesn't concern me at all. I've never lost one second sleep about global warming. I just haven't. It doesn't bother me. You know why? Because I know what Genesis 8.22 says. Genesis 8.22 tells me as long as the earth remaineth, there's going to be seed time and harvest, and there's going to be cold and heat, and there's going to be night and day, and there's going to be summer and winter. Now, the Lord said that so I can take, you know, Al Gore's word, or I can take God's word. I think I'll trust God's word here. I, I just think uh, I'll feel better tonight if I, if I take his word about it. How about you? So here's something God did that's going to last forever. That is until his second coming when there will be no more use for these things. Now, we look over here in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and you're going to find where Paul is quoting from the book of Psalms. And he says here that the Lord hath made the heaven and the earth. And he says, the heaven and the earth shall perish, but thou remainest. And this heaven and earth that shall perish shall be like a vesture or garment that shall be folded. It shall wax old and it shall be folded. Now, he's giving you a picture here of God's creation getting to a point of time when it's not going to be there for what God originally put it out here for. He's going to fold it up like a vesture. It said now, but thou remainest, thou, thou the same, thou remainest, and thy years fail not. He's going to contrast between the Lord and his work of creation right here. I, ho I hope you get the picture of what he's saying right here. When things become old, uh, oftentimes they have no longer any use in them. And we notice he, he didn't destroy it here, but he 
gives the picture of these vestures in a garment that is folded up and laid aside. There's coming a day when we will not need the sun, the moon, the stars anymore, but we need them now. We need them now, do we not? Now, Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. There's a lot more to God's creation than meets the eye. There's a lot more about the starry heavens, the atmospheric heaven, the starry heavens, that meets the eye. To some people, the sun is pretty when it rises, the sun is pretty when it sets. And the moon, you know, can give you romantic thoughts, etc., etc. That's about as far as our thinking goes. But God, when he created the heaven and the earth, when he created the sun and the moon and the stars, he can give them to us for a reason. We look over here in the book of Genesis chapter 1, and we find on the fourth day of creation where God made a greater light and a lesser light. And the greater light he called the sun, the lesser light he called the moon. And the greater light the sun would rule the day, and the moon the lesser light would rule the night. And then he says this, and he made the stars also. Just like, oh, wait a minute, I almost forgot. He made the stars also. Now there's a great multitude of stars that no man can number. And we find where the Lord uses those stars to teach us about the fact that you can't number his children because they're so numerous. He said, if you can count the stars in heaven, the sand of the seashore, you could number my people. He's telling you here, you can't do it. You can't count the number of stars in heaven. You can't count the sand of the seashore. Neither can you count the number of my people in my family. That teaches me God's got a big family. Not a small family like the religious world might have you to believe, but he's got a big family. He's got a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. Artie says in Psalms 19.1, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's a message in the heavens. They declare God's glory. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. I, I like the way uh, the Bible describes uh, God's involvement with creation. Sometimes we just think about God spoke the world in creation. That's all we think about. But see, when you see the moon and the stars and, and, the, and the sun, as well as the mountains and the grass and the flowers and the trees and the oceans and all of this, you're seeing God's handiwork. And God, I think, is pleased to show us his handiwork. You ever seen somebody that had a lot of skill and talent in building things, and you go see them and say, well, let me go show you what I just built. What he's telling you is, I want you to see my handiwork. <laughs> I want you to see what I've just been able to do. Well, God lets us do that every single day that we live here upon the face of this earth. Notice again, the heavens declare something. They declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day and the day other speech, and night and night showeth knowledge. There's no place on this earth where their voice is not heard. All around the globe here, they declare a message to the inhabitants of this earth. So God's creation sends a message. In the book of Acts 14, 17, you'll find where his creation is a witness. You'll find where the apostle is speaking to some Gentiles and he's exhorting them to turn from the vanities of life. And he says, turn to the God who made the heaven and the earth. He says, who left himself not without witness and that he sent his rain and fruitful seasons. That was raining some we got out here this morning. We were happy to see that. You know what it was? That was a witness of God's goodness. He sends his rain and his goodness in fruitful seasons. He says that he might give you food for the heart and gladness. There's two things we ought to receive. We receive from the hand of God 
as he sends the rain and sends the sunlight upon this earth, and that's food for our beings, but also gladness for our hearts. If you look in Deuteronomy 33, you'll see where Moses is going to say something about each of the 12 children of Israel. And he comes to Joseph, and it's pretty interesting to me what he says about him here. He says, and he thanked God for the precious things of the land of Joseph. He says, for the precious dew. You know, a lot of people never really think much about the dew. There's a lot of parts of this world that dew is extremely important. If it wasn't for the dew, they, they just wouldn't hardly be able to survive. They don't get much rain, but they get a lot of dew. And uh, there's a difference between dew and rain, but it's both moisture here, and it's, they're both very needful. He says, I thank uh, God for the precious things of the dew. He says, I thank God for the precious things of the sun, for the fruit of the sun, and for the precious things brought about by the moon. And he says, the precious things of the earth, and the precious things of the everlasting mountains and the hills. He used the word precious about a half a dozen times there. He says, these things that he's talking about are things that God has blessed us with on a daily basis that oftentimes we never give hardly a first thought to. The sunlight and the rain and the fruitful season God gives us is a testimony of what? Here's one more thing, a precious thing, he says, for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. Who dwelt in the bush? God dwelt in the burning bush with Moses, didn't he? And he says that's a symbol of God's goodwill. When it rains, you know, like we've been getting today, that's a symbol of God's goodwill. That's a witness of God's goodness to you, a witness of God's goodness to me. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said he sends his, uh, causes his son to rise on the just and the unjust, and he sends his rain on both the good and the evil. He calls the son his son, and his rain that he sends is a picture of his goodwill. It's a picture of his goodness. It's a picture of his blessings upon us. But I think so many people in this world just take it for granted every day. You know, uh, the sun shining, it's raining one thing or another, not understanding that these are, this is a witness of God's goodwill and his blessings upon his children. We come to the 31st chapter of the book of Jeremiah, and we read here where the Lord says unto Israel, in verse 35, he says, God who gave the light to rule the day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars to rule the night, it says, if these things shall cease, then the seed of the nation of Israel shall cease. He's saying right here, the children of Israel are not going to cease because it's impossible for the sun, the moon, and the stars to cease in their role and their function as God created them and placed them out there. It's impossible. He said, if you can search out heaven, he said, if you can search out the depths of the sea, he says, then I'll cast Israel away from me. Heaven cannot be searched out. Man has, uh, you know, been blessed of God to do a lot of things in space, but he'll never be able to search the entirety of the universe out. There's places in the ocean, the depths of the ocean, he's never been able to go to and search out yet. He said, if you can do that, he said, I'll cast my people away. But he's telling you he's not going to cast his people away because you cannot do that. And not only does that apply to natural Israel, but it applies to spiritual Israel. When I use the phrase spiritual Israel, I'm talking about the elect family of God. I'm talking about God's bride, God's church. I'm talking about his people. When I speak about spiritual Israel, 
He's not going to cast spiritual Israel away either. A spiritual, spiritual Israel is not ever going to reach a point of extinction either. Where are they at? They're in the hand of God. John chapter 10, the Lord said, I know my sheep, they hear my voice and follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no man can pluck them out of my hand. And my Father which gave them me is greater than all the man can pluck them out of my Father's hand, for I and the Father are one. You have eternal security in the Lord Jesus Christ. The redemptive blood of Jesus, my friends, is not a temporary thing, it's an eternal thing, you see. Now he says, I know whatsoever things God doeth shall stand forever. The creation of God, the moon, the stars, and the sun in particular, are used in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, to teach us lessons about God's power and God's wisdom and God's witness. I already mentioned to you these things are a witness about the goodness of God. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 12, it says, God made the world by his power. He established the earth by his wisdom, and he stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When God spoke this world in existence, he did it by his wisdom, by his power, and by his discretion. You ever think about that? When you see God's creation, you should see the power of God. When you see God's creation, you should see the wisdom that God put into it. When you see God's creation, you see God's understanding and discretion when he created all of this. All that's on display when you study his creation. Now, in the 30th chapter of the book of Isaiah, verse 26, I just noticed this. You're going to find where God is telling Israel that when they turn away from their idolatrous practices, when they repent and return back unto him for fellowship, he says he was going to do some things. He says he was going to bless them, and part of that blessing is described as the moon shining as the sun. Now, the moon gets its light from the sun, and the stars all get their light from the sun, just like we all get our light from the Son of God, right? Apart from the Son of God, we have no light. We're darkness. Not just walking in darkness, we are darkness personified. But we have a light inside of here that God gave us. He bore us the Spirit of God. We get that light from the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the moon shall shine as the sun, and the sun shall shine sevenfold. Sevenfold. Can you imagine how bright the sun is now? Multiply that times seven. Sevenfold. Multiply that times seven, well, it's, hard, it's unimaginable, is it not? How bright that would be if the sun shined seven times brighter than it normally does. And what he's given us here is a picture of God's glorious blessings upon us. They're, they're more than we can take care of. They're more than we can handle, so to speak. But I love being in that position, don't you? I just love being blessed so much I don't know how to handle it. I just love being blessed so much I, I just don't know what to do about it. Other than just praise the Lord, I, that's what I need to do, of course. And sometimes God just pours these things out like he said to the prophet Malachi, try me and prove me and say I've not opened the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you'll not be able to receive the fullness thereof. That's why David wrote in Psalms 23. He said, my cup runneth over. God goes beyond expectation. God goes beyond our anticipation. God gives us far more than we can anticipate or expect to come our way. But boy, isn't that a blessing when it happens? Isn't it a blessing when God blesses you so abundantly, it's like the sun shining seven times brighter than it normally shines. God uses his creation to display his power. You remember in the 10th chapter of Joshua, 
when Joshua was in a battle and he asked the Lord to stop the sun and the moon, give him some more time. In other words, here's the first example of daylight savings time. And it didn't originate with men, it originated with God. He prayed to God that he would stop the sun. The sun stopped right in, right in its track, so to speak, along with the moon. I don't know how, how much extra time he got, but he had enough extra time that was sufficient for him to win the battle. In the days of Hezekiah, the Lord promised Hezekiah when he was sick, and it was very apparent Hezekiah was going to die. And here's an example I want you to think about. When people think you've got an exact time to die, you do not. You can bring about your death much quicker than it would have been by ungodly living, for example. But here's a case where Hezekiah was about to die, and he turned his back to the wall and prayed about it. And the Lord told him, uh, told him through Isaiah the prophet, he said, I've heard thy prayers, I've seen thy tears, unto you I'll add 15 years. He added 15 more years to the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah asked for a sign. The Lord said, well, I, what you want me to do? You want me to turn the sundial down, turn the sundial up? He thought about it. He said, well, it's a light thing for the sundial to go down. That's just normal and natural, right? He said, how about just taking the sundial and cause it to go back 10 degrees? The Lord said, okay. So here the Lord just didn't stop the sun. He just moved the sun back. He just reversed his course. He just moved it back. There's a lot more to God's creation than you might think about, brethren. But what God has done, it shall stand forever. You don't have to worry about the sun burning out. You don't have to worry about the sun uh, not giving light to the moon and the stars somewhere down the road. You don't have to worry about that. Until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and time shall be no more, there will be a sun, there will be a moon, there will be stars, there will be seasons, there will be seed time and harvest and cold and heat and spring and summer. All these things will continue on just like they are. Because what God has done shall stand forever. I don't doubt man abuses God's blessings, misuses God's blessings. I know he does. But I'm telling you one thing. God says it's going to be here until I come again. You can just mark it down, you see. In the 136th uh, Psalm, you'll find a psalm here that's very unusual. Every verse ends with the expression, His mercy endureth forever. Every single verse. In verse 5, he says, By wisdom God made the heavens, made the earth. And he says, His mercy endureth forever. He says, And the Lord made the firmament over the earth. His mercy endureth forever. And God made the greater sun to rule the day, greater light the sun to rule the day. His mercy endureth forever. He made the lesser light the moon to rule the night. His mercy endureth forever. And he made the stars as well. He uses his creation here to teach you a lesson about his mercy. When you think about God's creation, look at it. I want you to remember it's a witness of God's free, of God's free will, of God's goodwill. It's a, it's a, it declares his glory. It shows his handiwork. It displays his wisdom. It displays his power. It displays his understanding and discretion. It displays his mercy. It displays the great truth that Israel, the seed of Israel, will not be cast off. It displays the great truth that you have eternal security through the Lord Jesus Christ. It displays the great truth when God blesses you, he can bless you seven times brighter than the sunshine. Because whatsoever God doeth, it shall stand forever. 
What about the written word of God? God's the one who gave us that right. Here's something God did and given us the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures give them inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and rights, that the man of God might be perfect through the furnishing of all good works. God gave us that. Are we going to have the scriptures that he comes again? I think so. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Heaven and earth shall pass away. Notice that. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But he won't pass away till he burns it up. Shall pass away. But my words shall never pass away. Here's something God has given us that shall be forever. In Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus Christ makes a very similar statement. He says, till heaven and earth, or heaven and earth may pass away, he says, but my word will not pass away from a jot to a tittle. A jot and a tittle is the smallest letters of the, of the, of the Hebrew and Greek alphabet. He says, my words are not going to pass away. They shall be fulfilled. Here's something God did that shall stand forever. In Psalms 12, 6 and 7, he says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. How long am I going to need this word? Until the Lord comes back again. I'm not going to need it in heaven. You know, you're not going to need preachers in heaven, but thank God there's going to be some there. <laughs> thank God there's going to be some there. You're not going to need any doctors in heaven, but thank God there's going to be some there. You're not going to need lawyers in heaven, but thank God there will be some there, Brother Larry. Uh, <laughs> just be no need for them, you know, as far as practicing law. No law will be practiced in heaven. No doctors will have to attend uh, patients in heaven. No preachers will be preaching in heaven. You're going to have perfect knowledge and perfect understanding when you get to glory, get to heaven. There won't be any need for them, but thank God there's going to be some there. I hope to be one of them. That word forever is a very interesting word. The scriptures will be given to us forever. That is, as long as they have a use, and they'll have a use until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God inspired them, and God has preserved them. But what about the redemptive work of Christ? Is this something God done? I think so. Matthew 1, 21, we have an angel bringing this message to Joseph. To fear not to take unto Mary to be thy wife, for that was the seed of hers of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, if God has saved you from your sins, is that forever or not? In the book of Romans 5 and 9, Paul says, Therefore, being justified by his blood... We shall be saved by his life. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, we shall also be saved by his life. Notice, Matthew 1, 21 says, he shall save us. Romans 5 and 9 says, we shall be saved. Romans 5, 10 says, we shall be saved. What? By his sacrifice and by his life. 2 Timothy 1, 9 says, who hath saved us, E.D., and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Is that something God's done? How long is it going to last? It's going to last forever, isn't it? In the book of 1 Peter 1.23, the apostle Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed, which, which what? Liveth and abideth forever. Do you think somebody who's been born again can be unborn again? 
There are some people that believe that. They believe, you know, to be saved, you got to be born again. When you're born again, you're saved. But if you don't live up to God's standards, you can be unborn again and be lost. I'm telling you this morning. <laughs> they don't even make good nonsense. But anyway, nevertheless, it's proclaimed out there, and some people believe it. He said, being born again of not a corruptible seed, that's the type of seed that your natural conception came from, but an incorruptible seed which liveth and abideth forever. The Lord Jesus Christ, we are told, concerning his offering sacrifice, in Hebrews 10, 12, he made an offering, a sacrifice for sins forever. That's the work God did. Is he going to stand forever? Is it not? Our text says it is. Our text says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall stand forever. Nothing can change that. Nothing can be added to that. and Nothing can be taken away from that. That's a principle. That's a truth you need to put right in here and never lose sight of. It's simple, it's easy to hear, it's easy to understand, easy to quote, easy to memorize, so I want you to do it. <laughs> Before you leave here today, you have Ecclesiastes 3.14 memorized. All you got to do is, you know, just mention it about three times in your mind and you'll have it down pat. Forever, what a wonderful word, forever. How, how long should I praise the Lord? I'd say forever, wouldn't you? You know, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, you got a picture here of uh, you got four beasts and you got four and twenty elders. The last thing said about these four beasts and four and twenty elders is that they cast their thrones at the feet of Jesus and they gave him power, honor, and glory who liveth forever and ever. The last thing it said in Revelation chapter 5 is the very same thing I just mentioned to you there. Once again, they all fought at the feet of Jesus and they praised him and glorified him who liveth forever. I'm telling you, the Lord lives forever. And whatsoever the Lord has done shall last. It shall stand forever. When it comes to the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 9, 12 says it's eternal redemption. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, by his own blood he hath obtained eternal redemption for us. Eternal means forever. The Lord's people have eternal life. They have life with God forever. You look in Matthew chapter 25. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to be like a shepherd divide his sheep from the goat. He's going to say to the sheep on the right hand, it's also identified as the righteous, come you blessed my father, inherit the kingdom for you, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But he's going to say to those goats on the left hand side of there, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. That is perpetuity, that's perpetual, that's everlasting. The suffering of the wicked is everlasting. The joys of the righteous are eternal. Without end, in other words. It's forever. Now sometimes we use that word forever in a way that really don't mean forever. You ever heard somebody say, well, he's always, he's always forever flipping his hair. <laughs> he's always forever doing this, for one and doing that. Well, he's not. But he's doing it repeatedly, continuously to the point where you use that word in there. When I use the word forever from a biblical perspective, it's a lot different. Aren't you glad that you have eternal life, everlasting life that God gave you and you've got it forever? In other words, there is no end to it. There's no specified period of time where it's going to come to an end. There's coming an end to God's creation because he's not going to need it anymore. There's coming a time when the church will not be needed anymore in this world here, but it's here forever until the second coming. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church throughout all generations, world without end, forever. 
Christ said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's something God did that shall stand forever. Then it shall stand until the second coming of Christ. The Lord's church will be somewhere on this earth honoring him, glorifying him, and praising him until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be in the midst of it. Now I'm going to close this morning from Psalms 84 verse 11. Actually 10 and 11. The psalmist here says, One day in his courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He says, The Lord is a sun and a shield. A sun and a shield. All right, it's two things the Lord is to you. He's compared to the sun. Malachi 4.2 says, Those that fear his name shall the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. The word sun there is spelled with a capital S and it's a U-N, but it's a picture of the S-O-N. He says, the Son of God shall rise with healing in his wings. Have you ever come to the house of God? Maybe you did today. And your heart is just not as warm as it needs to be. Your heart is cold. And your mind seems like it's in darkness. You just had a bad week. You got up this morning and you started off with a bad day. But you're so faithful and love the Lord so much, you decided you'd come to church anyway. <laughs> a lady told me the other day, she said, she said I, I tell you, I was so wore out. She said, I, I just thought I'd lay in the bed a little longer, and then this verse came to me, the spirit's with him, but the flesh is weak. I got up and got dressed and went to church. That's what she did. Well, you may have felt that way today. And you may have come here, maybe you and your wife didn't even talk to each other on the way to church. I hope that's not the case. And if you did, you might have said something you shouldn't have said. <laughs> but you got to the house of God, and God was so good to you, and so merciful to you, and so gracious to you, that he opened your heart and opened your mind to where the rays of the sunlight, my friends, of the grace of God just fills your mind and fills your heart. And the next thing you know, your mind has got full, it's got full of light, and you've got understanding in God's grace, my friends, has arrested you and blessed you and apprehended you and given you something that's like the sun shining seven times its brightness. And your heart is warmed up, and you're just a different man. You're a different woman, different person. And I'd like to say here this morning, when you leave the house of God, you ought to be a different person. You ought to feel different than you did before you ever got here. Just like the man did when he came uh, where his four friends brought him to the, where Jesus was and Jesus healed him, forgave him his sin and gave him the power to get off his bed and walked right out of there. I'm telling you, left there in better shape than he was when he came. And I know I'm leaving today better off than I, when I came. I already tell that right now. Uh, how about you? When you leave here today, you should feel better than you did when you came. I don't care how good you felt or how bad, my friends, when the rays of God's sunlight comes in and blesses us people in the assembly of the saints of God. Your mind opens up. God gives you the grace to see and to understand and comprehend and gives you a heart that's warmed up, my friends, toward your fellow brother and fellow sister and especially toward the Lord Jesus Christ where we can enjoy the fruits of God's wonderful fellowship. One more time here in his house.